Your organization has a known culture, whether you're aware of it or not. So what is the world saying about your organization? You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome everyone. My name is J.R. Flatter, and I'm the founder and the chairman of Two Roads Leadership, which is a division of Flatter Incorporated. I'm your host of Building a Coaching Culture, which is a brand new podcast that Lucas and I are getting started. So Lucas, you want to take a second to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, JR's co-host, Lucas Flatter, responsible for content creation, management, and social media on Two Roads Leadership. Happy to be here and talk about building a coaching culture and whatever else comes up. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. You and I are just going to go back and forth and riff off of each other on this topic that we're nose deep in and personally and professionally, but also very excited about bringing to a B2B audience, business to business audience, any organization that wants to create a 21st century culture, who the podcast is focused on. So it's not a surprise to anyone we're well into the 21st century. Y2K is way behind us. You can even remember that far back. Leadership is changing. A lot of the fundamentals are staying the same, but employees' expectations of their uh, employers is changing. It's much more of a freelance labor market where people are loyal to their craft more than they're loyal to an organization. So how do you become an employer of choice in that kind of environment? How do you attract and retain world-class talent in that kind of environment? So that's what this podcast is all about. Any industry, any size, whether you're doing mostly B2B, B2C, everybody needs a coaching culture in the 21st century. Yeah, so I guess the thing that pops up when you started going on like what the building a coaching culture is, is thinking about like from the employee's perspective, like if you are one of those people that's switching from organization to organization, you're kind of having to adjust to all these different cultures. So there seems to be like an attractive nature to having an organization that you want to stay at and, and continue building together. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. when We talk about becoming an employer of choice. So right now, Anybody can communicate with anybody anywhere in the world within seconds with a lot of clarity and emotion showing through in those communications. And so your organization has a known culture, whether you're aware of it or not. So what is the world saying about your organization? Is it a place that has a familial atmosphere? Do you feel like you're home when you come to work? And certainly we don't replicate home exactly at work, but you can do a lot in an organization to create a familial culture. And we're going to mention a lot of books in, in, our, in this podcast, and so we'll, we'll drop the names and the authors. 
there's a book by a gentleman, Daniel Coyle, C-O-Y-L-E, who wrote a book called The Culture Code. And a lot of the ideas you and I use come from that book and, and other books that we'll mention as time goes on. But Daniel says there's three things you need to build a culture, a sense of family. And so the world knows whether or not you have that, a sense of safety within that family. And I don't necessarily mean physical safety, but that's certainly part of it. You know, that's part of our world nowadays, making sure we're physically safe. But are we emotionally safe? Are we intellectually safe? Do you feel free? So you're an employee here. Do you feel free being who you are? And obviously by the clothes you're wearing and the hair you're wearing, you do feel free. Yeah, no one's telling me to leave and get a haircut. <laughs> so that's a positive. Do you, do you feel safe uh, when you have an idea of bringing that idea to anyone in the organization, the CEO, me, the chief learning officer, your team that works for you and with you? So that's what some of that safety is all about but also across any other demographic you might identify. So you and I come from two very different generations. I'm a boomer, born in 1962. You're a millennial, probably on the edge of Gen Z, born in 1992. You remind me all the time that we're 30 years different in age. At the top of Diamond Head is my most memorable moment where you reminded me that I was 30 years older than you, and that's why I was sweating and exhausted and you are brand new and fresh. So the third thing that Coyle tells us, so family, safety, and then opportunity. Does everyone in the organization feel they have the same opportunities to advance, to achieve? All of this, and this comes from us, all of this at an intersection of the personal and the professional. So your work family is interested in your personal and professional achievements because we feel that's a really central component of a 21st century culture. Familial, safe, with opportunity, but also at the intersection of personal and professional achievement. So if you look at my three life goals as you were growing up, look at 30 years into the future, how was I gonna get you educated? How was I gonna raise you as a family? And how were we gonna create some financial freedom? I come from a blue collar background and I just had this dream that we could all, if we chose to break out of that blue collar generation after generation and do something different with our lives. So that, as you, as you listen to those three things, is squarely at the intersection of personal and professional achievement. So that's a, a big part of what we do when we build cultures. Something that I think is important nowadays as well with you know, millennials and younger people is that sense of authenticity, because mm -hmm. you might hear like a company say, um, we're like family and it, it can almost be like a red flag because you might think, oh, they, they just want me to like stay extra hours or, or they're just saying that to get me to, you know, put in more effort. What do you say to those people that are kind of like skeptical of those buzzwords? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a perennial question whenever anyone's thinking about joining your organization. And they're doing homework, looking in the blogosphere, trying to find out who you are and what you're all about. So for us, it comes down to communicating your culture. So 
writing it down, being very explicit about it, embedding it in your strategic documents, embedding it in your comments when you're talking to your team. But equally important and probably even more important, are, are you communicating your culture, but are you also demonstrating your culture? So do you come in in the middle of the night and leave in the middle of the night and expect everyone else to do that? We used to call that lights to lights. You're the guy turning the lights on in the morning, you're the guy turning the lights off in the evening. You're probably not sending the best message if work family self-balance is a communicated part of your culture. And so how do you communicate your culture? You communicate it in your leadership, you communicate it in your actions, you communicate it in your documents, but then you demonstrate it in every action that you do as a leader or a team member in that organization. And going back to those principles, right? Like that you were talking about, what was the author's name again? Oh yeah, Daniel Coyle, C-O-Y-L-E. On Coyle, um, how do you think that kind of building your culture around coaching can kind of identify and like effectively embody those characteristics? Yeah, what a great co-host you are because you're teeing up <laughs> every one of the important uh, points. So building a coaching culture is really three verticals in one program. So we're going to build your leadership depth in your organization. So not only you as an individual, but your team, your leadership's going to get stronger. We're going to build internal coaches within your organization. So those coaches are going to go back and coach the leaders in your organization all the way from the C-suite to the mailroom. And we'll work together to build that plan and, and to build those coaches. One of the things we do as a company is we accredit coaches. And so we'll accredit a team of coaches for your organization. And then also culture development. What are the processes of culture development? The technical processes, the cognitive processes, the emotional intelligence processes. And so we'll work with you to do all of those Deepen your leadership, deepen your coaching strengths, and deepen the culture of your organization. So when you think about going back to the heart of your question, here we are in the 21st century, and what is leadership in the 21st century? It's much more of a coaching leadership style. And it, it would literally take an entire podcast to explain what a coaching leadership style is and how different it is. And it's going to be a recurring theme of the podcast. So we'll revisit this again and again and again. But a coaching leadership style is a style focused on the leader you're coaching and the development of that individual and the fulfillment of their personal and professional achievement, which, by the way, contributes to the organizational achievement. So it's a win-win. You help the, the leader that you're working with become a better leader get happier with their workplace while they're achieving their personal goals and objectives. So what would be an example of that? We have a young man in our organization who wants to go to the Naval Academy. And so we've introduced that 16-year-old young man whose father works for us to the congressman in our district. They've had a face-to-face -face meeting for about an hour. The congressman graciously explained to this young man what it took to get an academy appointment, what he had to do in school, and now he's well on his way to getting that appointment. 
So what's our culture? Our culture is the intersection of personal and professional achievement. That employee wants their son to get an appointment at the academy. We do everything we can to assist in that. It's a win-win for everyone. And then now in the 21st century, that employee is much more likely to be fulfilled at work and much more likely to hang around and want to be part of this team. So can we talk about the people that are kind of driving forces of the culture and their organizations? Like who, who are the people that are going, learning about coaching, you know, coaching sure. their employees, doing all of that? And, and what would you say to them? So the flippant answer is everyone. But that doesn't answer your question, but it's true. Everyone in the organization is responsible for the culture, whether they know it or not. And so the C-suite in how they're writing policy, how they're communicating policy, how they're leading, so that communication and demonstration piece, again, they're building the culture every day. Certainly human resources has a huge role to play because they're the primary owner and uh, they assist greatly in the development of policy. And so core values, which are central to culture, are part of that policy, that part of that documented policy. And then the team members themselves, irrespective of where they might be in the organization, how they're communicating the culture and therefore how they're demonstrating the culture is where the rubber meets the road. So as the CEO or the chairman or the chief learning officer, I can be communicating and demonstrating, but is the team by their actions communicating and demonstrating the culture? So everybody plays a role. Large complex organizations that succeed in these cultural transformations, the C-suite is certainly deeply involved. HR is certainly deeply involved. And everyone's very explicit about the culture. It gets embedded in every document. It gets mentioned in every comment. Uh, it gets demonstrated in every action. And I guess sometimes there's probably some resistance, you know, to changing culture because say I'm the CEO and, and I like how things have been going, but maybe somebody comes in and they say, oh, like these people don't feel safe expressing themselves. These people don't feel that they have opportunities. How do you kind of shift the culture without all those growing pains or is it necessary? Yeah. Wow. As coaches and as leadership developers, you know, one of the themes that you and I communicate all the time is that if you're comfortable, you're probably not growing. And so you and I are going to purposefully ask people to become un uncomfortable and make others in the organization uncomfortable literally forever. Because if we're not growing, we're dying both as a human being and as an organization. If you're not growing, you're dying. And so change is constant. Um, it's you know, a part of life. No human being is comfortable doing it. We're all very comfortable being comfortable, but we also have to know and recognize that if we're gonna thrive and survive, especially as we move deeper and deeper into the 21st century, as the economy gets more and more global, and our stakeholders are across the entire globe, we have to keep up. And the way you're going to keep up is by creating that 21st century coaching culture, leading differently, attracting and retaining the world's best talent. 
requires you to develop a coaching culture. So if you're a true strategic thinker and you're leading an organization or you're a strategic thinker within an organization, it's going to become part of your path to sustained success. You just got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there. Like, say you're you're building a culture and you're getting all these voices like, okay, I want to encourage everyone to have that coaching mindset. So let me hear more of your opinions and, and your thoughts on things. But then ultimately, you probably still have the C-suite. I mean, you would need somebody to be making decisions ultimately. So how do you balance the need for like a cohesive leadership with all the voices that you're hearing in the culture? Yeah, I'm chuckling because I'm coaching a woman right now who has the most graceful way of telling me no. And it reminds me of some of the requirements of leaders in a transformation like this. I don't know if you remember when you were growing up, but I always used to tell you, don't ask me a question that the answer cannot be no. Because if it isn't, then you're really not asking me a question. You're hiding a demand in a question. So it has to be part of the culture that your voice might be heard, but it might not be the one listened to, right? We make the joke all the time in a for-profit business, R has to exceed E. Revenue must exceed expense. And so a CEO, the C-suite, has to tell a lot of people no all day, every day. And so it can't be part of your culture that my voice is heard and listened to every time. It also has to be part of the culture that people understand your business model, they understand your goals, your objectives, your key results, and they understand how they contribute to those. And they recognize what the mechanisms are, what the levers are. You know, you and I use a model of Gokers, goals, objectives, and key results. They know what their Gokers are. They know quarter by quarter what the expectations are. And so it's a, it's a communication, again, of the, of the same thing with the recognition that a heard voice isn't necessarily a followed voice every time. Is it possible, you know, you're building a culture and it, it becomes too unwieldy? Like, are there things that you have as pillars and then, and then everything else is kind of derived from that? Or how do you kind of keep it at the forefront of your mind? So you and I use a model that we call building a house of culture. And part of your engagement, if you choose to go down a culture development path with us, we're going to spend no less than 12 weeks building your house of culture. It's going to be standing on a foundation of courage. So do you have the courage to go down this road, to be uncomfortable, to ask others to be uncomfortable? It's going to be held up by four pillars, which will take a week to explain each of those four pillars. And, and you will take a week exploring those pillars, both personally and professionally, at home and within your organization. So principles is the first pillar. What matters to you as an organization? What matters to you as individuals? The second one is, what does the team need to look like? What are the technical roles we have? What are the cognitive requirements we have? What are the emotional intelligent needs that we have? So we spend an entire week talking about the technical, cognitive, and emotional pillar. Next pillar is the work-family self-balance. What 
work-family self-balance do we want in our culture? It's something that we talk about all the time uh, at the holidays, at our uh, summer picnic. We're asking people, hey, are you taking time off? Where are you going? What are you going to do? How long are you going to be awake? And if the answer is zero, they get a frown. If the answer is, yeah, we got a vacation plan, we're going to the lake for a week, going to unplug completely, that's part of our culture. So what is that work, family, and self-balance that you want to communicate and demonstrate? And then fourth pillar, probably the most important, but all four of them weave together. Where do you want to be as an organization 30 years from now? So when I'm 89 years old, where do I want Two Roads Leadership to be? And what am I doing within the next five years, one year, and then today to make that happen? So we'll put all four of those pillars in place, standing on that foundation of courage. And then we have enabling characteristics that we'll spend a week on each. And we have a focus area for each of those, but then we also have some purposeful customization of those enabling characteristics. What are the six most important things that we can identify to help you transform your culture into a coaching culture. So that's uh, how we do that. And then it's a lifelong journey in the Raptors, this lifelong learning. So how do we keep a growth mindset in our organization, a growth mindset in our culture, and uh, continue learning so that as we go further and further into the 21st century, we're keeping up. So that's just one of the tools that you and I use when we engage with people. The coaching certification process itself. So we, as we go down this journey together, are going to have external coaches, such as you and I, we're both certified coaches, coaching people external within the organization. But also we're going to help you build your own team of coaches. Uh, how many do you need and at what levels in the organization? That'll be something we determine together. But those coaches are going to go into your organization and help leaders learn a coaching style and add coaching to their leadership toolkits. And then the culture development skills, what does it take to change a culture? Certainly change management skills is a necessary component of that. Culture development, so digging deeper into what is a culture and how can one change and what should a world-class culture look like? And so as a byproduct of all of this, so you go through the Leadership development, strengthening your leadership. You go through the coaching certification to teach leaders how to be coach-like. And then the culture development, all of the same at the bottom line. Because at the end of the day, you recruit people, you interview people. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of money to recruit. And even after all that time and money, are you able to attract and retain the talent? So you're going to have a world-class team that loves working with you. You're going to lower your recruiting costs. You're going to lower your training costs. Because not only does it cost money to recruit someone, it costs money to, to train them. And one of the fundamentals of uh, a for-profit business is you overpay someone the first year they work for you, and then you recoup the, that overpayment over their tenure with you. So it's a high curb to entry to get someone into a world-class organization such as yours and mine and the organizations of the people listening to the podcast.
So the more you can reduce that, uh, the higher your bottom line gets. So at the end of the day, all of this is aimed directly at the bottom line. Would you say that there's more of an emphasis on building the culture on the recruitment process? Or can we have, say I'm recruiting a programmer and he hits all the technical requirements, but I don't feel, you know, the love and connection and <laughs> not feeling like, oh, I don't know if he's going to fit in with the team. Is there a way to kind of like get there with this person or what do you, what would you say to that? Do you just not hire that person or? Yeah, that's literally a billion dollar question. <laughs> yeah. Some of the biggest mistakes I've made uh, is hiring a person who is a masterful expert, but like you just said, didn't quite excite you. Mm -hmm. Can you bring that person around to your culture? Certainly you can, but I would rather attract someone that aligns to my culture that I can train for a skill. There's a saying in the, in the business world that you hire for attitude and train to skill. So every person we hire, we introduce them to our core values before we hire them and ask them, can you subscribe to these core values? and ask them questions about, can you tell us a story about when one of these core values was relevant to you in your personal or your professional life? So a long way of answering your simple question, but we focus and we would recommend that you hire for attitude and train to skill. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of plays itself out because those technical skills are textbook in a way and, and the, we're talking about, you know, emotional and... yeah. Yeah, how do you, you can't really train that unless you have a child, right? <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that at another podcast, but <laughs> there's a lot of relevancy between great leadership and great parenting. Oh, yeah. Not I mean, to be paternalistic, but. <laughs> I'm learning about that. I, I've got the two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old at home, and we're starting to hit the terrible twos. And yeah, yeah, yeah. All that, all those challenges. So. We're very clear about creating a culture for the 21st century. And so what does that mean? Uh, what did it look like in the 20th century? And what does it look like in the 21st century? But as a leader of an organization, what does that mean to you about how could you go about changing that culture? Maybe you have a great culture and you want a world-class culture. Maybe your culture is really hurting and you need to, to do some repair. So there's some mind shifts that you need. And, and you just mentioned this idea of being emotionally intelligent. A lot of what you and I are going to talk about on this podcast involves emotional intelligence. So the first thing I would like you to think about if you're starting to go down this path is the world is your oyster. I want you to unanchor your culture from what it is. You and I are both coaches, and one of the things we coach on is perception. And so if you have a perception of your culture, I want you to unfreeze that perception and allow it to change and allow it to grow. So that'd be one of the first growth mindset opportunities if you were going to come down this path to changing your culture to a 21st century culture. There's a couple of realities of this 21st century freelance labor market. It's hyper-competitive. And that hyper-competition is here to stay. I don't think you're going to see a change anytime soon. So what are we, as leaders, thinking 30 years into the future, going to do about that? 
And secondly, culture is a huge component of becoming an employer of choice. So what are we gonna do to change our culture to become that employer of choice? From the world of economics, there's this idea of utility. And utility is a fancy way of saying, what value do you place on something? You have a value, I have a value, our listeners all have a value for all the different things in the world. And the classic example of utility is the diamond water paradox. Why is a diamond so valuable, yet it doesn't sustain any life? And water is nearly free, and it sustains all life. Because a huge number of people give strong, high-value utility to diamonds. And water is pervasive. The same thing is true of your culture. Your culture is as valuable as the leader you're trying to entice to come to work for you is. Culture might not be important to you at all. I hope that it is. But all these people that you're trying to attract to come to your team, or if they're already here to stay on your team, they're making that comparison all day, every day. Do I want to get up in the morning and come to work here? That is entirely their decision. In this hyper-competitive labor market with uh, near full employment, they literally can work anywhere they want, physically and literally from their employer's stance. It's a much more freelance labor market where loyalty is to the craft rather than to the company. And so that goes directly to the bottom line. What is your culture? So we really think leadership development, change management, coaching, external, internal, all adds invaluable value to your culture and ultimately the bottom line. It's not just buying a ping pong table and, you know, like it's not the super. Yeah. What kind of sushi are you serving at lunch? Yeah, that's not going to cut it. It's, yeah, that's something that you see a lot. It's like, okay, the facade of culture and, you know, like what we were talking about earlier with the in- inauthenticity, like it needs to be part of the identity of the company. And, and I need to be able to see that as a potential employee when mm-hmm. I'm searching for the company. So I guess that's the big challenge. Oh, yeah, it's huge. Another component that we talked about earlier that I'd like to take a minute to focus on is this idea of work, family, and self. Three components purposefully. How important is work to you and how important is work to your team? How important is family to you and how important is family to your team? We already talked about Daniel Coyle. He considers family as one of the most important characteristics of a strong culture. And third and Often the most overlooked is self. How important are you to you? Are you going to take care of yourself? Are you going to get sufficient sleep? Are you going to eat well, not drink too much, not take drugs, so that you can live that 30-year vision? Uh, You can be there for your family when they need you. So we focus a lot about that uh, in our programs. It's one of the pillars as you go through the house of culture building your house of culture. But it's also a fundamental component of changing to a coaching culture. 21st century employees want work-family self-balance. And they want to work for a company that is interested and encourages them in the growth of their work, the growth of their family, 
and the growth of them as individuals. They wanna be able to work remotely. They wanna be able to work asynchronously. So not necessarily the same hours you're working. So work family self is certainly a central component of building a coaching culture. So when you think about going down this path, it's kind of a third, a third, and a third. It's a third building your leadership development and your leadership bench strength. It's a third internal and external coaches. And so we will provide you external coaches and you will build internal coaches. You need both. And thirdly, communicating and demonstrating your core values. You think about your life as a leader and building a coaching culture. Those are the three circles of the Venn diagram that you're going to be spending your time on. Building the depth of leadership, internal and external coaching, and communicating and demonstrating your core values. Can we touch on the coaching coaching relationship a little bit? Like, Sure. It's almost like we're talking about things that you don't talk about at work, right? Like, how are you taking care of yourself? Even like talking about your family too much. It's like you want to open up these avenues of conversation that aren't very common in the workplace. So how do you broach those subjects and have that confidentiality that you would need? Yeah, it's, it's, it is confidentiality within the coaching relationship, but it's also acceptance of those conversations at work. So yeah, absolutely. The coaching relationship is a hundred percent confidential. Certainly there are boundaries there. But the second half of your question, an equally important part of your question about being able to talk about those things in your organization, absolutely central to 21st century leadership, that you have a culture willing to have those conversations, willing to encourage those conversations, willing to encourage and support a professional achievement. Likewise, supporting solving personal challenges. More and more, you as a leader in organization need to very explicitly make that part of your leadership. You go back to family, safety, opportunity. Do you feel safe having those conversations at work? Do you feel safe telling somebody, hey, it's four o'clock, I got to go pick up my son. Or it's three o'clock, I got to go to a soccer game. That's what a, the 21st century culture uh, that we're talking about encourages and accepts. Yeah, and it's almost like having to see those in person because I was having a conversation with somebody that I was coaching and it, without giving too many details, it was just, I'm not getting the feedback from my class as a teacher that I need. She wanted to get those negative comments and the positive comments and so the kind of question is like, okay, have anybody ever come forward in the class with negative comments? And is that something that's normal? Because imagine being the first one to broach that and, and now you're the person that's being negative to the instructor or teacher, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You've watched me teach for a long time. You've watched me as you grew up. I hope I welcome that as a leader. And you're right. The first time someone brings that to your doorstep and you blow up, that's the last time you're going to hear it. Mm -hmm. But guess what? You're not going to have a 21st century coaching culture either. 
unless you're willing to accept that criticism, listen to it, make changes. When you and I teach, we teach and, and adjust content in real time based on feedback. I'm confident people in the cohorts that we teach feel comfortable bringing those uh, challenges to the forefront. And kind of like the reciprocal nature of that, because it seems like, I mean, you would have to be vulnerable to get people to open up in that way, would you say? Yeah. I wanted to touch on this idea of being unapologetically unreasonable. One of the characteristics you and I teach, both as a leadership characteristic and as a cultural development characteristic, is to be unapologetically unreasonable. And this comes from a quote, George Bernard Shaw, literally 1901, so over 120 years ago. He said, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's a reasonable person that adapts to the world. And then there's the unreasonable person who persists in trying to adapt the world to them. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable person. So the leaders you and I develop, the coaches you and I develop, we ask them and we communicate and demonstrate being unapologetically unreasonable because we want them to change the world. We want them to be the person. So I just, I just experienced this two days ago. You're standing in a line in front of two doors and nobody's going in one door and they're all waiting in line at the other door. I'm the guy that goes and tries the other door because guess what? More than half the time it's unlocked and now I'm in and everybody's grumbling about why was I standing there in line? That's a little hint of what we mean to be unapologetically unreasonable. So when you look at this 21st century labor market, and you look at the culture you have and the culture you want, the culture you need to succeed and thrive, to be an employer of choice, you need to be unapologetically unreasonable. So as you're building your strategy, as you're building your communication plan, as you're demonstrating the culture that you want, be unapologetically unreasonable. It's like, it seems like brash and, you know, bold but in a way because you're hitting such big swings it's like you can you can kind of make a fool of yourself if you you know if you're making those big swings and missing oh yeah i'm laughing because you just reminded me one of my favorite sayings and it goes something like be courageous enough to suck at something new oh yeah i saw that yeah because it's yeah like you want to learn how to play guitar or something. Yeah. It's like, that's, it's called sucking for five years. At it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are in fact a lifelong learning organization, a lifelong learning leader, you're also a lifelong novice. You gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable and sucking at that new thing. And so trying to change your culture, you're going to suck at it. Trying to deepen the leadership bench, you're going to suck at it at first. Trying to be a coach, you're going to suck at it at first. One of the metaphors we use over and over again is jumping off a 10-meter tower into the water. A 10-meter tower is 33 feet high. It takes about a second and a half to fall. And as you're climbing up the ladder, it doesn't seem so bad. But when you get there and you peek over the edge, you're like, my God, that's a long way. Well, that's what creating a coaching culture is all about. You're looking over the edge of that 10 meter tower saying, 
I have no idea how hard this is going to hurt, how long it's going to take, how I'm going to land. You just got to step off the edge again and again and again. And I guess there's some balance between, you know, I want to be this culture and I'm looking out towards that. And then something, you know, more attainable that I'm going to take some steps to get there because you can almost feel discouraged by the ideals that you're striving for. Yeah. Uh, a couple thoughts come to mind when you ask that. Um, one is John Cotter, Leading Change. So that's another book we'll toss into the transcript. K-O-T-T-E-R, uh, Harvard Business Professor. He has an amazing short book called Leading Change. And it's an eight-step model of how to change an organization. And we use a lot of his ideas in this podcast and in our work. And one of his eight steps is celebrate the wins as you get them. Purposefully plan wins before you get to the finish line. Because you can't wait 30 years to celebrate your victory. Another thing you and I teach is to find joy in your life every day. So even though we're asking you to plot these 30-year plans and, and be uncomfortable forever, we're also asking you to make sure you find joy in your life every day. And so the model that you and I use for the 35-1 today, so thinking 30 years into the future, you certainly don't wait 30 years to celebrate your successes. You don't even wait five years. Five years is where you first establish objectives. So goals are these huge things in your life that are not going to change no matter what happens. So for me and you, it was education. So no matter what happened, you were going to get educated. No matter what happened, we were going to raise each other as a family. And no matter what happened, we were going to achieve some financial freedom. So whether any of us had gotten sick, whether any of us had to change careers, or God forbid we got a divorce, all these things in life that happen that you never planned for, those big things stay there. The five years where it gets a little more real, and that's where I'd begin to call them objectives. Objectives are a little more finite, a little more identifiable, a little more achievable. So a master's degree, which congratulations, you're two classes away from finishing yours. <laughs> it takes three to five years. So that's a good objective that contributes to your goals. So the objectives contribute to the goals. We back that off to one year. What do you need to do in the next 12 months to get to your five-year, to get to your 30-year? And where the real magic happens is, what do you need to do before you go to sleep tonight? And we call that our today key results. So what do I need to do before I go to sleep tonight? I needed to record this podcast. I needed to work on a webinar that I had promised myself I was going to work on today. Um, probably a couple of other things that were on my before you go to sleep list. And as I lay my head on my pillow this evening, I'll be able to tell myself, yeah, I did that. Or I won't be able to. And I'll promise myself I'll do better tomorrow. And hopefully I don't do that every day. Because that's where you get 37 years into a, an objective of learning how to speak Spanish because your wife's a native Spanish speaker. And 37 years later, you still can't speak Spanish because you lay your head on your pillow every day and say, dang, I wish I would have done that. I wish that 
my mom would have taught me Spanish as a baby, then I wouldn't <laughs> need to learn Spanish. <laughs> You'll have to talk to her about that. <laughs> I let her help me with my homework one time, and that was the last time. <laughs> so speaking of, you know, transforming your culture, so you are where you are today, and you kind of know, oh, I need to improve this, I want to change to this. When you're done kind of going through that, at least the phase of transformation at the beginning, what kind of organization will you be like? What do you look like in the future? Yeah. And how does that, how yeah, does that perception? Question. So certainly it's a different answer in a finite sense for everyone because they're in different industries, uh, different geographic locations, B2B, B2C. So they all have their own uniqueness. But from a 50,000 foot view, a philosophical view, you're entirely transformed about you know, what does work mean? In many ways, you're reinventing work. Uh, we see this a lot when we talk about the technical, cognitive, and emotional continuum. When you're focused mostly on technical work, and then you look around and say, maybe I want to be in charge of this place someday. You have to begin reinventing what work is and what your value to the organization is. So you become more cognitive, collecting data, conducting analysis, making decisions with that analysis, and then executing those decisions. And then there, there's a huge shift at the emotional intelligence space. So no longer your technical skills, your cognitive skills are your greatest value to the organization. Now your emotional intelligence and how you're demonstrating it is your most valuable resource. And when you're transforming from a 20th century coaching culture or a 20th century culture to a 21st century coaching culture, you're making that same transformation. So the technical and the cognitive still important, but the emotional becomes central to the value of you, the leader, and to the value of the team. So you can imagine a room full of technical workers that do a transactional task and then now are waiting for someone to come and tell them, here's the next task. In a coaching culture where you've developed the, the team to do their own thinking, conduct their own analysis, make their own decisions, now they don't have to wait for you to come back in the room and tell them, oh, you've taken those two pieces of bread, a slice of cheese and a patty and you've made a hamburger. Now here's another one, make another hamburger. That's the 20th century labor market. The 21st century labor market and 21st century culture says, here are the objectives, here are the goals. Now, what do you think about how to get there and how do you contribute and how we get there? So it's a much more participative culture. It's much more welcoming of all voices. This is the first time, but certainly not the last time. I'll mention the word love. A 21st century culture is a culture of love. And it's a very different love than you and I have as father and son. It's a very different love than you and uh, my, your mother and I have as husband and wife. But there are many definitions of love. I think the Greeks have five words for love. But it's a love for one another and uh, a love of what we're doing, a love for those who that we're serving. And it's celebrated instead of hidden in a corner somewhere and talked about maybe at the Christmas party and at the summer picnic, but it's part of your life all day, every day. 
and it's love across the personal and the professional. So we're celebrating the achievements of the children of our organization. One of the small things we do here to, to hopefully perpetuate our culture is your mother spends hours and hours a day handwriting notes to every employee, every spouse, every life partner, every child of our organization to celebrate their birthdays, to celebrate their high school graduations. And so are you doing those things? That's a 21st century culture. So love is part of your culture. Joy is part of your culture. From a very practical perspective, your recruiting costs are lower. Your training costs are lower. People are hanging around longer. They're telling their friends about you. They're telling their children about you. We have several father, daughter, husband, wife, mother, son teams here. And that's a beautiful thing. And those people don't want to disappoint each other. Uh, They love being part of the team. A coaching culture in many ways, I don't know if you've ever heard of the frozen middle. When you have complex organizations, there's this thing called the frozen middle where the technical workers at the bottom know what their jobs are and they're really, really good at it. The C-suite at the top they, knows what the, they know what the vision is, and they have a plan to get there. But there's this frozen middle that wants to slow things down because they're afraid of change. They know what success means, and they know how to deliver success. And now you're asking them to toss all of that away. So part of the beauty of a coaching culture is you unfreeze that frozen middle and through a coaching leadership style, they learn and you learn the change is constant, that the world is changing and we have to keep up. I have a friend whose grandfather worked in the same building doing the same job for 53 years. That's never gonna happen again. The weaving technology that he had when he started versus when he finished was probably 10, 20, 30% changed. Look how fast our world changes now, right? You're uh, approaching a certain age as a millennial uh, and you've seen it exponentially greater than I saw it and even more exponentially than that gentleman. And that's just the way it's gonna be for here and evermore. So are you gonna be able to keep up with that as an organization and as an individual? Absolutely, if you have a coaching culture. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.